Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to, his, to the disciples, Let us go to Judah again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to, uh, to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. For, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we, we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know, what, I know that whatever, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last, <clears throat> on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said, she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she felt at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. In his, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, 
where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he, could, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to the Lord, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Uh, Meeting your match. Let's think about that for a second. Uh, It's good to have Pathfinders and Spectrum in the room. I don't know if you can think of situations where you've uh, met your match. Here are some pictures. Maybe you're um, maybe you're in the netball team and you go through an undefeated season, and then your final match of the season it's against the local school. They're the you know they won it last season, and it turns out you you just met your match. Maybe you're. online gamer and out there is the sort of the person that everyone wants to beat and 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 finally it's your turn you're up against them and they are the nemesis of everyone in the gaming world and you land in a I don't know how gaming works but I imagine that's how it works (laughs) and there's this nemesis out there and you've met your match or maybe it's maybe it's chess, or maybe it's your your the football team that you follow in the season, and you've got the date in the diary of the team who are top of the league, and you know that is the date. That is the date with destiny. Will you be able? Will your team be able to beat that team? You've met your match. The question is: Has Jesus met his match in the passage that we have before us? Last week we heard um, that we're to believe the works. We heard the works of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and they're extraordinary. But maybe we have a nagging question. Is death going to be a bridge too far for Jesus? I mean, water into wine, yes. Healing, yes. Blind man, yes. Death, hmm. surely not You know, he says he's the Lord of life. He says he offers abundant life. He says he can give eternal life, that you'll never perish. But how will he get on when he actually meets a dead body? When there is one in in front of him? Because up to this point in the Bible, up to this point in history, death has been the undefeated champion from Adam onwards, all of the way through to Lazarus. It's a terrible chapter in Genesis 5 where we have a list of people after the fall. And it says, and he died, and he died. He lived 100 years, and he died. And, the next, and it just goes on and on. He died, and he died, and he died. And that is human history. And for that reason, of course, we find it very hard to talk about death. It is 
the taboo of our age. We find it uncomfortable. Maybe we got used to it a little bit in COVID, maybe, but we've moved on from that. We still find it hard. Maybe when the Queen died, we started, we tried to talk about it, but it was, it's hard without an answer. Wonderfully, she gave us hope in the faith that she held out before us, but for many of us, it's hard. And of course, it raises the question about Jesus' identity, because if Jesus has met his match in death, then he can't be God as he claims to be, because God has no rivals. And if he has met his match, well, it all falls apart. There's no hope. We're left looking and wondering. Well, wonderfully today, Jesus is confronted with a dead body of one of his best mates, and he won. He won over death in history for all to see. In fact, it was not Jesus who met his match. It was death that met its match. It was death that met its own nemesis. Jesus, the Lord of life. And we're called to believe in him this morning. So let's go through this extraordinary uh, account, historical account. We'll look at it in, in these four parts. Um, he's the Lord of life. That's really the headline. Who cares about belief, who's the person we need, who shares our grief, who has won our victory. Let's start with this surprising, unusual bit. He cares most about belief. Just read verses 1 to 6 for us. If you've lost your place, I think you'd find it helpful to have it open, page 1081. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So scene one is then across the Jordan. A personal tragedy is unfolding back in Judea because news about Lazarus uh, reaches Jesus. And a couple of things here show that Jesus is, is on a, a different agenda to what we might expect. Uh, for a start, he seems to have some inside knowledge that this won't end in death, ultimately, but that it will be for the glory of God. So he seems to have some inside knowledge. He says that he'll be glorified by what happens. And it turns out that that's the case. 2,000 years later, this event and how it went and how Jesus let it go has turned out. And that God still receives glory through what happened all those years ago. But perhaps you, you notice especially the oddest moment in, in these verses, which is in verse 6. We're told, I mean, look at the logic of this. We're told he loved them, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he dropped everything and raced beside him to heal him. It doesn't say that. It says he loved them, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed put. And Lazarus died. It's very odd. It's very confusing. And Martha, when she gets to meet Jesus, raises it with him in verse 21, if you'd been here. 
Jesus seems to be marching to a different drumbeat. What is Jesus playing at? What's he doing, quite frankly? Often sometimes we ask that, don't we? Jesus, what are you, what are you doing? Jesus doesn't always do what we expect him to do. And it's odd because then suddenly after two days, in verse 8, he says, come on, then let's go to Judea. And they set off very quickly. And, and everyone says, you're crazy, Jesus. Why are you going there? Do you have a death wish? Last time you went there, they were stoning you. Thomas in verse 16 says, and it's hard to read the tone of this, but let us also go along that we may die. It may be, you know, courageous Thomas, let's, I'm with you, Jesus. Maybe Thomas being a bit of an eel, going, well, go on then, let's, you know, he's going to die, I guess we're all going to die as well, you know. It's hard. I don't know what the tone is really, but... But you see, it's odd. One moment, let's not go next moment, let's go. And, and Jesus says in verses 9 and 10 that, that he's going because he's the light of the world. He's getting on with the work before the, the night comes. It's a slightly opaque statement maybe, although he's spoken about the light before, but it certainly causes some confusion. Verse 11 to 15, the, the, the disciples are scratching their heads. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. You know that, don't you, Jesus? Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Sorry, what? Sorry, what, Jesus? I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. I'm glad for your sake that this happened, that you might believe. We... We can't skate over this quickly, friends. Sometimes the Bible has very odd and confusing and hard-sounding things to us, and this, it seems, is, is one of them. Jesus really is very different to us. Sometimes his agenda, frankly, is perplexing and different. And Jesus isn't callous. Three times we're, we're told that Jesus loves them throughout the passage. He loves them. He loves them. He loves them. But he sees that belief is the most important thing, it seems to be. Belief in this world is, is the most important thing. Now, how could that be? Why would that be? Well, belief in Jesus restores our relationship with God so that we can enjoy him. Ultimately, belief saves us for eternal life forever. God cares about eternal life and, and belief is the way to that. And Jesus seems to be saying that it would be better to have belief created through these trials than to have no grief and no trials and also no belief. Jesus cares most for our belief. It even seems to orchestrate situations to that end. And notice that he's doing this for a believer. Seems to be at this point, Mary's a, a believer, trusting in him. Lazarus and the family are so. They all, they all believe. They're following Jesus. And that tells us that, that Jesus cares about the belief of believers as well. 
He wants to grow us. He wants us to be people who are humble, who say, Jesus, there's more for me to learn. Please would you grow my belief. And for many of us, in hard situations, maybe at the moment, uh, he may not remove that grief or that trial quickly, but he does love us. We can know that. He does love us. And he does grow belief uh, in us. So there's the first thing. He's the Lord of life who cares about belief. Second, though, he's the Lord of life who's the person that we need. He's the person that we need. The second scene was verse 17. Onward, it's outside of Bethany, and Lazarus has been in the tomb for four, for four days. And Martha comes out to meet him on the road, and she expresses, I think, quiet confidence in Jesus. I don't think it's a huge com- complaint. I think quiet confidence in Jesus. And she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would, would not have died. And then she says, verse 22, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Your brother, says um, Jesus, will rise again. And Martha says, yes, I know that. And what she means by that is, she's a faithful Jew. She knows about something called the resurrection on the last day. Old Testament believers held that, Daniel 12. She's saying, yes, Jesus, I know that. I trust God. I know that on the last day you will raise all people. And then she hears very close from her, right in front of her, these words. I am the resurrection and the life. Look at me, Martha. I who stand before you, your master and your friend, I am the resurrection and the life. Now what's he saying? He's saying, Martha, you might think of the resurrection as a a future event, a day when all people will be raised. There'll be be judgment of life and death. and, And that is so. But that won't just happen. It will only happen because I, a person will be standing at the end of of time. That person is me. The resurrection is a person, and I am he. So listen, the end of time is is not some sort of vague vacuum. The end of time is not um, lots of paperwork. You know, (laughs) thank goodness. It's 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 a person. One person will raise us all. And Jesus says that that is who he is. If, if we think about death at all as a society, we think about maybe abstract philosophies or, or, or grieving processes. But we all know that actually what we need is not just platitudes and philosophy. We need a person. And Jesus says that that's exactly who he is. It's the same for all of us as we face death. We need a person. And Jesus says that he is that person, a real flesh and blood person. It's an enormous claim to say that I am the resurrection person at the end of time, but minutes later, he will prove it. But before that, he just sort of spells it out a bit more, a slightly complicated bit about um, he will die and yet he shall live. What's he he talking about there? Well, he says some slightly different things. He says, whoever believes me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
Verse 25, he's saying, if you're a believer, you will die physically, but on the other side, you'll come to life. I'm the resurrection. That's the sort of first way of saying it. Secondly, he then says, I am the life. And he he says in verse 26, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. In other words, whoever believes in me now before they die has in them capital L life. They live. You have the life of Jesus in you. And that life is an unknockdownable life. That's a word I've just made up, I think. It's a life that's unknockdownable. You you can't destroy it because it's life with a capital L. And if you have that in you, though you die, you will never really die. Is how Jesus is is saying it. Try and think of it this way just to illustrate it. Maybe this will help us all. Um, There's a ball. Um, If you're uh, in a swimming pool or out in the sea, and this is reasonably well inflated, um, and you're there and you're messing around, and you push this down under the water, what is going to happen? One, two, three, what's going to happen? One, two, three, it's going to... It's going to pop up, exactly. Okay, so you try and push it down, and it will pop up. And here we go, we've got a picture on the screen. There we go, poor little guy. Um, Pops up, wasn't expecting that. And that is because this has within it buoyancy. That's the word, isn't it, that would say this thing is buoyant. Okay? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's got us covered from every angle. Jesus says that we will die physically, but we will be raised. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that leads to the question that he asks. He says, verse 26, do you believe this? Do you believe this? He says, Jesus has got it covered from every angle. We will die physically, but we'll be raised. We live now. We have life in us. We'll never die. We have that buoyancy from Jesus if we're joined to him. And he asks this question, first of all, to a believer, someone who I think is believing in him. And he asks us this this morning as well. Many of us, most of us as believers. Do you believe that Jesus is not just a man, but the Christ, the Son of God? And the believer in their heart says, like uh, uh, Martha did, Yes, Lord, I believe. Let's come to the third uh, thing we learn about the Lord of life, and it's, it's this. It's that he's the one who shares our grief. He shares our grief. This time it's Mary who comes out, and Jesus is still in the same place. So it's the same place, and actually it's the same words in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. Same place, same words, but notice a different response from Jesus. In verse 33, when he saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept and the Jews said, see how he loved them. You notice, same place, same words, different response from Jesus. And Tim Keller, the New York pastor, observes it like this. He said, in the first situation, he confronts the situation with a confident statement of the truth. In the second response, he weeps, dissolves, breaks breaks down, he's speechless in, in one sense. He's troubled. Now, what are we meant to make of that? 
For a start, I think it shows that it's historical. You never put those two responses next to each other if you were making it up. But see how unique Jesus is in the face of death. Buddhism says suffering is an illusion. Islam says there's a distant, untouched God out there. But Jesus is truth and its tears. This is the one that we need in, in our loss. If it's just truth, you know, Bible verses from a distance, it doesn't help. If it's just tears, someone who comes alongside but has no ability to do anything, that doesn't help either. But Jesus, truth and tears. The God-man, Jesus wept. See how he loves them. And friends, for us, in our grief, that helps, I think, to play us on side. Christians can easily fall into a stoic response to, to grief and, and loss. We can quote the Bible and give one another the impression that we're not really meant to fall apart or, or, or grieve. Um, I think some, many found the, the period of mourning for the Queen sort of strangely helpful to wear black and, and, and slow down in, in that sense. But often we feel like we have to move on. We have to avoid the language of sadness or that we shouldn't still be, be grieving. But Jesus gives us permission to, to do so. He never shuts it down. He's never, never trite. You see, think about it. Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus. He said in verse 4, it's not going to end in death. But he doesn't say to them, even though he knows that, we'll just have faith. It will glorify God. Now, the bad thing is still a bad thing. It is still an alien intrusion into this world. And Jesus weeps, wails at the loss. I have a friend whose, whose son is growing up with, with a disability in, in lots of ways. He's, he's doing well, but he finds as people, some people only focus on the progress and the positive, and he's thankful for that in a sense, but there's an underlying sadness that needs to be expressed. And he also says that he finds it very helpful when people use the language of sadness with him and grief. And give him the space. And perhaps there's something for us as we help one another in our life together as a church. That we learn those things. Jesus uh, grieves. Perhaps we find talk of grief hard to go to because we fear that we'll, we'll sink and never come up. And so we need to remember again. You remember this? Oh, can't. It's on the move. It's on the move. Well, it really is on the move. It's got life in it. I told you it's got life in it. So you need to remember, we, we fear, we think if we talk about grief or if we open it up, we're going to sing forever. But if we're joined to Jesus, we have a buoyancy that enables us to talk about the things that are hard. And we come to the last point now where Jesus proves that he has that buoyancy. We come finally to the fact that he won our victory. And so the fourth scene in the passage, we see our final scene, is not Jesus mourning a loss, but Jesus raiding a tomb. And if we're going to understand this bit, I think we need to look at a word which is there in verse 33 and verse 38. And it says that Jesus is deeply moved in spirit. It's a word that literally suggests anger or, or outrage. It's used of animals, like a horse snorting. The same word would be used, a sort of horse snorting in, in anger. One translation has quaking with anger. Jesus approached the tomb, quaking with anger. 
Why is Jesus angry at a funeral? Who's he angry with himself? That the mourners can't be those. Most likely, it is death itself. Here we see Jesus, the God-man, step into the good world that he made. A sin-sick world with an alien intruder. Jesus says that he knows it is not meant to be like this. Sisters are not meant to bury their brothers. And now Jesus experiences from the inside the wreckage and the sin, uh, the wreckage that sin and death cause, and he is deeply angry. He's fuming at sin and death at the enemy. But it is not Jesus who has met his match. It is death. Uh, in the film uh, Taken, a few years ago, I haven't checked out what, whether, what rating this is. I don't know if it's a 15 or not, I'm sorry. But, but Liam Neeson is a policeman. And in that film, his daughter is kidnapped. And he phones the kidnappers. And there's a great quote that's often quoted of that. He says this, he says down the phone to them, I have a particular set of skills that makes me a nightmare for people like you. I'll hunt you down and I will find you. It's a very powerful scene. I, I, I'm coming after you to protect his daughter. Jesus, Jesus is a nightmare for death. Because he's the Lord of life. Jesus is a nightmare for death. He's the Lord of life. He's the death smasher. He has life in himself. He is unsinkable in his life. And he goes into the tomb. You see, we don't just want anger. We want action in the face of death. And Jesus is decisive in verse 39. See, he says, take away the stone. And they say, no, no, no. Jesus says, didn't I tell you that if you believe? So they took away the stone. He says a quick prayer. And in he goes to action. And this is what happened, we're told. Verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Remember Jesus said back in verse 11, death was like sleep to him. Well, here we see it. Like when we wake up a small child or pathfinders, your parents try and just, just shake you up and they wake you. They just say, wake up, time to get up. That is the power of Jesus in the face of death. And Lazarus obeys the voice of life. Uh, the voice of the Lord of life, heart beats, blood races through his veins. Jesus was not a wimp who floated around first century Galilee. Jesus is the Lord of life, our strong champion, who hates death, who hates death even more than we hate death, but who has power to reverse it, has power to undo it and to give life. And we're seeing in a sense in advance what Jesus spoke of back in chapter 5, where he said an hour is coming when all in their tombs will hear the voice of the Son of Man and they'll be raised, some to, to life and some to, to judgment. And Jesus proves here that he is that Son of Man, that it will be his voice of all voices that all of us will hear at the end of time, calling all of us from the grave. And so I think as we close, the call for all of us is in verse 27, to believe to believe in him in, in, the, in the face of, of our own mortality, to throw our, our weight and our hope, not on ourselves, but on him and say, you are the Lord of life that I need. I, I look to you. And some of us maybe need to do that for the first time.
We've seen enough evidence. We need him as our champion, as the Lord of our life and our death. But again, as we close, for most of us, we're believers here in the room, just as Mary and Martha probably were. And we're called to believe again um, for ourselves and, and for many of us as we grieve uh, others that death is not the final word for us. It, it feels so final. It looks so final. It, it just isn't final, says Jesus. Jesus can and has beaten death. He has power over it. Death has met its match in him. And we will see as we read the rest of the gospel that Jesus is the Lord of life who walked out of his own grave. He's the Lord of life who can get us through. And he can call us to life forever with him. If we're joined to Jesus, we're joined to the Lord of life. Death didn't sink Lazarus. It couldn't sink Jesus. It won't sink us if we're in him. It's the door to life and hope. Let's pray. Father, again, we are just quiet to gather our thoughts. And again, for some of us, this has just brought fresh things to the surface. And we pray, please, that you would help us to have space to think and to, to talk to others who might listen after the service. Uh, but most of all, that you would uh, comfort us and help, with, uh, help us and help us to put our eyes again on the Lord of life. In his name we pray. Amen.